Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This is Daniel Markin, and on today's episode, I'm joined by David Schumann. David is pastoring in downtown New York City in Manhattan and coming to us from his you know, apartment in Manhattan. So we're going to be talking to him about happiness, which I find is really interesting. You know, we've come through 2020, 2021, maybe some of the more unhappy years, years of unhappiness most recently in our lives for various reasons. And I think it's important for us to talk about happiness. What does it mean to be truly happy? And what does that look like for us as Christians? So I hope you find this episode helpful. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This is Daniel Markin. And today I'm joined by David Schumann. David, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Daniel. Dude, it's good to have you on. We were just kind of going back and forth a little bit here. But you live in... What would it be the, the most populated place in the world, most densely populated, or at least up there? But you live in Manhattan, so I guess you know I'll let you introduce yourself. But I gotta ask, what's that like <laughs> living in Manhattan, man? Because I mean, we all watch the movies. I've lived in downtown Vancouver, but you know, Manhattan—I've been there twice. It's a beast. What's that like? And then tell us a little bit about who you are, where you came from, and maybe some of your ministry. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love living in Manhattan. Uh, I love the density. That's really my favorite part about it. I mean, I love that I can walk everywhere, that everything's within a couple minute walk, or I love not owning a car. I don't know, maybe I'm crazy for that, but uh, I love being able to take the subway everywhere, you know, a little bit less desirable in the warm summer heat, but it's still, I think, a great place to live, my favorite place in the country to live. I haven't visited Vancouver. I know that always makes, you know, top 10 best places in the world to live. So maybe if I visit there, I'll change my mind. But <laughs> so far, I, I love Manhattan and uh, very happy to be living here. David, tell us a little bit about, you know, what are you doing in New York City? You're working with a church, correct? Correct. Yeah. So I'm a pastor at Exilic Church, uh, which that's a little bit of an unusual name. It, it comes from the uh, the word exile. It's the adjectival form of exile. So like in First Peter, it says that we are exiles and uh, we're awaiting our, our true home. So that's where the name comes from. And yeah, I, I've been a pastor here for the past three years. Uh, I do a little bit of everything. I do preaching, leading worship, lots of counseling, um, and all the sorts of kind of miscellaneous things, leading different ministries as well. Uh, and I love it. It's been a blast the past three years. That's amazing. And did you grow up in New York City? I actually grew up in a suburb of Chicago um, and lived in a few different places. I haven't quite made it to Vancouver, but I lived in Portland, Oregon for um, a a few years. Uh, And then I moved to Philadelphia from there. And that's where I did my seminary training and from seminary to New York City. So I've known for a while that I wanted to end up in New York City, but uh, just moved here finally a few years ago. Dude, so good. The reason we have you on the program today is you wrote an article for Gospel Coalition that actually we found really, really fascinating here at InDoubt, which is on happiness. And that's something that we talk about as believers and just as a culture in general about happiness and the desire to be happiness. And I mean, we live in Canada, but you live in the country, United States, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
right? So this is something that's very much on the cusp of culture and of, you know, everyday life. Um, I wonder as we start, you know, because your article is titled The Secret to Happiness. You wrote this for the, for the Gospel Coalition. But as we start, can we define some terms? And what I mean by that is, how would you define happiness as compared to joy, perhaps? Because I think sometimes we, we can define happiness and joy as the same thing. Or we get them confused. And then from there, tell me how, as a Christian, we define happiness in comparison to how our world defines happiness. So give us Christian joy, happiness, the distinction, and then compare and contrast happiness, happiness. Yeah, that's a great question. And maybe one way I'll answer the first part of that is, um, so the article is called The Secret to Happiness. It comes from some observations in Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, um, obviously it's a translation, and most translations would actually translate, uh, blessed is the man who dot, dot, dot. That's how the psalm starts out. Um, but another good way to translate this in the way that a lot of scholars translate it here in Psalm 1 is with this word happy. So there's already, I think, um, a helpful context of what does this psalm mean by happiness and then what do I in this article mean by happiness? It's You could describe it also as blessedness or as maybe more so like what you're talking about with uh, not just this temporal happiness, but something much deeper than that. So like maybe more akin to what we would talk about is, as joy, like blessedness, true, deep happiness. And you see that throughout the psalm too. I mean, you see at the very end of the psalm, which I didn't get to talk about too much in the article, but at the end of the psalm, there's a very black and white picture of two ultimate destinies between the happy man or the blessed man, or maybe or we could even say like the joyful man and the wicked on the other side. There's this black and white contrast. And it goes all the way to the point of eternal happiness or eternal wickedness and, and the suffering that comes from that. So I think that even clues us into what does this psalm mean by happiness? It has in picture something much longer lasting than just temporary I'm happy today because of my situation. Even something longer lasting than like, yeah, I have a, a pretty happy life. It actually has an even bigger picture than that. It's talking about in the realm and in the kind of view of all of eternity, what is true happiness. It's following the law of the Lord as, as it goes on to say in Psalm 1. So that's how I would define what it's talking about here is as big picture as you can get, that kind of happiness, joy, that kind of depth um, right there. And, I, and you have to read yeah. me of the, of the second part. I got, I got sidetracked. Well, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it was joy, happiness, but then how does our world define happiness? Because if to summarize, you know, what I would think is kind of what you're saying is when you follow the law of the Lord, we tend to think, oh, the shackles of the law. But the law of the Lord, I think, is helpful in, in understanding that its design is for flourishing. It's like follow these laws and principles, you will flourish. If you if you love the Lord and follow, keep his commandments, it will lead to not only your flourishing, but everybody's flourishing around you. There's a there's a, a spreading effect of that. But then t- talk to me then our world, because you you know, maybe a good language to use is that of wickedness. We have a wicked way of describing happiness. We have a way that's that's wicked in the sense of um, it's a it's a fraud happiness and how does our world define that yeah yeah that's a good question and uh one of the things that i think is so different between um how this psalm describes the secret to happiness and how our world would describe it a pretty fundamental difference would be 
our culture talks more about um, finding happiness within yourself, right? It's, you know, it's follow your heart. It's, uh, you know, you do you, live your authentic life, whatever. It's all this like hyper... It's every Disney movie, by the way, is that. Exactly. It's yeah. hyper-individualism through Disney and everything else. And, you know, it goes back to philosophers 100 years ago or so, especially beyond that as well. But um, yeah, it's, it's this inside of yourself. That's where you find happiness. This psalm pretty much just the exact opposite of that because it says, no, happiness, the key to happiness isn't found inside of you. It's actually outside of you. It's in the law of the Lord. Happy is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. And we, like you mentioned, like we oftentimes think because we're thinking about the key to happiness being inside of ourselves, we think about religion being antithetical to that. That's, you know, that's oppressive. That's what has kept people unhappy for thousands of years. We need to break free of that. It's stifling our happiness. Let's break free, express yourself, follow your own heart. That's the, the real secret to happiness. Um, but when we realize and, and come to see, no, you know what? God's law really is the key to our flourishing. It really is a good law. And as I meditate on his word, I, I understand that more and more. And I see this is really the key, the secret to, to real happiness. When we do that, it becomes such a tremendous gift to us that we're not having to spend our lives trying to go from one career to the next or one relationship to the next or one adventure to the next, you know, trying to find what is going to bring me this happiness, this following my heart piece. The key to happiness is, is graciously been given to us in God's word, and it's freely accessible to us whenever we want it. We don't have to go outside and, and, and seeking it or inside trying to follow our own heart the key to happiness has been given to us right here it really is a tremendous gift um and so i think one really significant difference between how our world would define happiness and how the bible defines happiness is where do you find that it's not within yourself it's actually in the word of god and looking there and, and meditating on that learning to appreciate and learning to obey his law that's what will bring us true lasting happiness mm -hmm. i completely agree with that but here's my question is there a an element of looking within ourselves that's valuable because i i sense that there there's an element of authenticity that we really value we value you know my generation and generation after like that that authenticity i think you have to look inward somewhat. Um, you know, how does that play into it? Is there like a healthy level of looking inward? Maybe, maybe just for self-awareness to understand our own state. I mean, we do that to understand our sinful state. But how does that play into the overall, what you were just describing? Yeah, that's a really good question. <clears throat> I'd have to think a little bit more about it. But some of my initial thoughts would be, um, yeah, I think there can be some value to that. There's some truth and that's what, you know, helps it stick so much in our culture, this, you know, totally authentic life, because there is some truth to that. Like we, we do, we should strive to live um, true to our intentions as best as we can. Like we, you know, nobody likes somebody that acts one way, but is really has different intentions, right? Like that's clearly, that's clearly wrong. So maybe one thing it does is it exposes, like you kind of already mentioned this, but it exposes um, our need for God because even as we do look to God's word and even as we do say, oh yeah, like this is really the best way to live. Like I should try to live a, a chaste life. That I understand that that's really valuable and that really would bring me more happiness if I lived a chaste life. 
But then the conflict is, I, I struggle to do that authentically because there's a part of me that doesn't want to live a chaste life at all, right? And so it shows us our need for God to be changing our hearts because we can't live according to his law without his intervention. There's a part of us, a big part of us that uh, wants to take the advice of, of our culture and not follow God's law. And we need God's spirit at work in us to transform our hearts so that we can live authentically in that way. So maybe that, that's one initial thought right, that comes to mind. Absolutely. Now, I noticed that you use the, the language of chaste. And with that, we're, we're talking about uh, sexuality. We're talking about living a life of, you know, reserving sex for a man and a woman uh, in marriage. Um, so uh, you, you use that, that for uh, a reason. And I wonder, is it because you, know, you mentioned that you do some counseling? You mentioned that you, you talk with lots of people in your congregation. We live in such an over-sexualized world that values and would say happiness is found in sexual pleasure, like most supremely, like the top shelf experience that you can have in our world, in our culture is having sex. And, um, you know, so that that's what we're being told. And, you know, I both married, it's an amazing experience sharing that with our wives. Okay. But I, I would argue, and I would say that, you know, much of what our world is saying happiness is found in having as much sex as you can and even looking more inwardly and figuring out what sex you are or what gender you are. Is that something you're running into a lot right now? Like, I, I imagine that there's, I mean, there's so many layers to this. It feels like right now there's such a, a push um, with the, you know, back and forth. We get this in Canada and I see some of the news in the States with, you know, gender curriculum and, and all of that stuff. And that, you know, we're talking about looking inward, looking inward. What are you? What gender are you? Right. Even kids are being asked this. And I like, you know, most kids don't even know what to order at Subway, let alone try and looking inward and figure, you know, what they, who they are. Is there a, a correlation between a decline in happiness uh, in our world, in our culture and the increase of excessive sexuality to use that maybe as a term mm. what do you think yeah i think there is and i mean so i won't be speaking very scientifically necessarily but but i totally think, speak you know as a pastor as a pastor yeah. you're pastoring people yeah as a pastor i think there definitely is i mean a number of connections come to mind uh one would be i think the the furthest reaches of this whole philosophy of happiness inside, follow your heart, this kind of hyper-individualism, the furthest reaches of that is what we see with sexuality right now. Like going so far, not just like, oh, I'm going to find a, do a career that I find fulfilling, you know? Oh no, that's like, that's super basic compared to, no, I'm even going to decide what gender I am uh, because of what I feel inside of me. That's the farthest kind of extent that we've pushed this philosophy so far. Um, there's that piece. And I think there's um, another really strong connection between this rise in sexuality and sexual expression and happiness. One piece that comes to mind is I think that when we, um, when we reject the word of God and when we reject the moral standards and what the Bible says is the way to true happiness, I think the strongest pleasure we're left with oftentimes is sex. So I think it, it kind of makes sense. Like, yeah, sex is a very pleasurable thing and, and it's meant to be a pleasurable thing. And so I think it makes sense that when we have rejected all else, that maybe is something that we go to, especially because it is like a height 
pleasure. Um, so since we reject this, we, we go towards this. And I also think that there's a connection between this heightened sexuality and decline in happiness, um, because I, I, that's what this psalm would say. This psalm says, hey, you know what the secret of happiness is? Delighting in the Lord, meditating on his law. Uh, not taking the counsel of the wicked, it says in verse 1. So as we reject God's word, as we don't meditate on it and delight in it, we're going to decline in happiness. If the secret of happiness is obeying God's law and, and, and delighting in it, then when we don't do that, our happiness declines. Uh, and so then that just heightens all the more our desire for sexuality as, as being kind of this last resort of like, well, at least I have this pleasure of, of sexuality and, and kind of making that uh, a very ultimate thing, even to the core of our identity, making our sexual expression so core to that. Yeah. And, but you hear the stories over and over and over again of how empty that ultimately leaves you. And even just the, the stories of people who are in hookup culture, right? They, for a time, they're just hooking up, chasing that that one night experience, right? Maybe it's a few nights. It's just that physical, very intense experience. But after time, it's it's almost like if that were happiness, that happiness wears off and people desire joy. And I think, you know, like that joy is found in in relationship, which again would lead to the flourishing of of what God desires for man and woman to be united for life in marriage, right? There's, there's a, a joy that comes with that with Elise and I, with my wife, where... Like we're just hanging out in the living room together, right? The babies are asleep and we're just talking or just not even saying anything. We're just sitting next to each other. Like there's there's other elements, I think, that as you follow the law of the Lord that begin to be brought to light, which I think is, is super powerful. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's where it, this passage talks about meditating on God's word because the more we do that, the more we realize, yeah, this really is like such a good thing. Like I see now clearer and clearer each day how hookup culture, man, like that, that leaves you empty in the end. Like it's pleasurable for a time, but it leaves you empty. Yeah. No, I see how like, this is such a good thing to have a loving relationship with my wife and to have, you know, a family congrats to you on, on the twins and everything. Yeah. Thank um, you. And our son, uh, we just have one kid right now and, and he's, uh, just 10 months old. So we have a new, new kid as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a beautiful thing and it's such a longer lasting and deeper happiness. And I think as we study God's word, that just becomes clearer and clearer to us. Imagine here, um, you're working downtown at your church and someone comes in for counseling and they come to you and they say, hey, David, I've been coming to church for a long time now. And I'm hearing all the words you're saying about going to the Lord and, and, and being here, being a part of the community, following the law of the Lord. And so let's say they're doing, I've been doing it for six, seven months. Okay, I've, I haven't been here for a short time. It's been, it's been a good amount of time. And they say to you, I'm still not happy, okay? I do not feel the type of happiness I thought I would feel by following the Lord. How would you counsel that person? Because it's it just, uh, sorry to add on, like, I, I feel like that's the experience. By the way, I'm showing my cards here. That's a normal experience sometimes for Christians, right? But, um, you know, say someone's a new believer or someone listening to this program who has been trying their best to follow the law of the Lord, and yet they still feel like it hasn't enhanced their life at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. And like you said, I think that it can be a very common experience. I mean, especially if we're thinking of a more dramatic conversion experience, like, uh, you know, I, I was uh, 
I was killing people. I was in a gang, uh, and you know, and- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like you know, even even Paul, the Apostle Paul. I was killing. Yeah. I was murdering Christians. God came to me, and now I'm I'm following him. Pretty dramatic, right? Um, and those stories stick in their minds a bit more, understandably. But that's not a normal conversion. It, praise God, it happens sometimes, and we can pray for that. But uh, it, it doesn't always happen. It's often a much slower uh, process. So I think it's a very normal experience. And I would, you know, depends on the situation, but maybe in general, I would counsel somebody to a couple of things. One, to keep trusting in God that it, he is going to be slowly growing you. Um, it, it's a slow process. Uh, I mean, this Psalm uses the metaphor of a tree. It uses it in a maybe a slightly different way than I, I will just now, but a similar way. You know, if you think about going to Central Park in New York City, I, I live close to there. So I try to go for walks and runs there uh, most days. And there's all these big, beautiful old trees, right? Been there for a hundred years. There's also plenty of, you know, brand new trees that were planted this year, or last year, something like that. Those aren't the ones I notice <laughs> because they haven't had the time to grow into this mature tree with beautiful branches, all the leaves, tree I can sit under, whatever. But it might be that that young new tree is getting everything it needs. It's, it's flourishing in the sense of it's getting the light it needs, it's getting the nutrients and the water it needs, but it still is going to take time to become this mature, fruitful tree. So one thing I would say is keep trusting in God. Like it, it does take faith to continue in your walk with Christ. Sometimes you don't see the growth, but it, it's coming uh, would be one thing I would say. Another thing I would say is um, this is where it can be really valuable to have friends that know you well yeah, in your life. It's, it's oftentimes hard for ourselves to see our incremental growth you know, like you never realize when you're a kid that you're growing, right? But you go see your grandparents and they're like, oh my gosh, you're so big. And you're like, what? What do you mean? I'm not, I'm just the same size I've always been. But they can see how yeah. you've grown. And, and I think good godly friends in your life can say, oh, you know, I, I see how you've actually changed in this area. Maybe it's hard for you to see because it's been so incremental, but you have grown in this way. Um, so that would be a, a second piece. And then maybe a third piece would would just be, uh, going back to that idea of broadening your perspective. So even if you had a horribly unhappy life your whole life, that's still small compared to the happiness that this psalm has in view. It's talking about all of eternity. And, and so even if you, and I don't think this would uh, would happen, but even if you look back on your life, you know, you're 100 years old, and you say, man, I just had such an unhappy life my entire life. I was a Christian for 80 years and I always was unhappy. Even if that were the case, that's nothing compared to all of eternity and, and the happiness that's promised to those who follow God. So I think that would be maybe a third piece, like challenge them to, to broaden their perspective. And that's admittedly, that's, that's hard because we live, you know, we're, if we're 30 in the now, or, yeah, like, like yeah. Hard to think about like, what does that even mean eternity? But, uh, I think that's, uh, an exercise that comes from meditating on God's word is, is it broadens our perspective to think, okay, I can endure this unhappiness now because I know that I'm going to have eternal happiness and easier said than done, but that's maybe a third piece I would, I would say. Yeah. Easier said than done. Especially I mean, people who maybe have chronic pain their whole life, things like that. They, they just, long for that eternity where there's no pain but like think about that the fact that they have that hope that they can long for in eternity uh because of you know on the cross the unhappiness jesus went through in that uh 
because he went through that, we can actually have happiness in our struggles, knowing what awaits us. And, you know, we talk about hope and that that's an amazing, amazing side of this. Because I think a, a lie that we believe is that, oh, as soon as you become a Christian, life's just better or it's easier. And, you know, if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you know that uh, it actually can get harder. That and, and you know something, right? My mentor used to always say, he's like, you know, you're doing something right for the kingdom because the enemy starts attacking, right? So like the, the deeper you go in your faith, the more you begin to serve and, 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 and dig into the law of the Lord to following his law word and his, his design for creation, the more pain, frustration, attack you might experience. And so it's, it's a whole like, you know, buckle up if you're going to be a believer. And yet, do you know what, what awaits, right? Eternity with him. Yeah. And this Psalm even speaks to some of those things uh, as well about like suffering in this life. Um, not to mention that, I mean, so this is Psalm one that this is coming from happy is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. But, you know, you read through the rest of the book of Psalms and it becomes pretty clear, pretty fast that that doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. <laughs> There's plenty of unjust suffering in this world. It comes not only from our own sin. We bring suffering upon ourselves. That's true. But also from other people's sin and just the brokenness of the world. You know, somebody with chronic pain, that's probably nobody's fault. It's just the broken state of the world that we live in that, that brings this. And that's painfully obvious throughout the book of Psalms. Um, so that's an important context as, as we read this first Psalm. But even within this first Psalm too, we see that this happiness doesn't mean you're not going to suffer in this life. So I didn't really talk about this in the article, I don't think, but um, in verse three of this Psalm, it says that this blessed man, this happy man who delights in the Lord, says that he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, and, in, and its leaf does not wither. And it's a metaphor picturing uh, a tree in a desert. So, for example, a couple summers ago, my wife and I went to the Grand Canyon. It was pretty incredible. I mean, huge, obviously, as you can imagine. And uh, I remember, uh, as I was thinking about the summit, I was reminded how we went in the month of August, so it was pretty sparse vegetation, like not very many trees, not really even very many shrubs or anything. But then when you look down into the bottom of this incredibly deep canyon, there's the Colorado River running through. And alongside the river, there's this stark contrast from everything else. So everywhere you look, it's basically barren land. But then you look down here, and alongside this river, there's this path of green following along the banks of the river. And that's like what this psalm is picturing. Uh, it says that the happy one, the one who trusts in the Lord, delights in the law of the Lord, is like a tree planted by that river. So in contrast to a tree, you know, even just 50 feet away, this tree has the steady, reliable source of life so that even when a drought comes, it's going to have this sustaining power within it because its roots reach down to this deeper water. So that doesn't mean that there's not still going to be a drought. And, and you know, the metaphor to that would be, it doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. We are going to still suffer. And like you said, it might even be worse in some ways when we become a Christian because we might have some level of persecution or the devil might be, uh, you know, extra on us trying to tempt us or, or, or harm us. So we're still going to suffer. We might have chronic pain. We will certainly suffer some kind of physical pain in our lives and, and emotional pain. Those things still happen. But what the psalm promises is that 
even when you experience those hardships, your experience is going to be profoundly different from those who don't trust in the Lord. Because if you're 50 feet from the water when a drought comes, that's probably the end. You might not survive. That tree might just die, wither away. But if you're by that water when a drought comes, you still experience that, but you have this source of life. And it's the same for us. We have this deeper source of life so that even when we undergo suffering, we're not doing it alone. We can cry out to God and, and he hears us and he sustains us just like water sustains a tree by a river, even in a drought. So yeah, it doesn't mean we don't suffer, but it, it means that even in the midst of our suffering, we can have some kind of deeper sustaining power and deeper happiness, even in the midst of that. Amen. Um, Dave, we're coming to it, you know, coming to the end of the program, we need to come in for a landing here. I wonder if we just get some practical stuff for ways that we can begin to cultivate happiness individually and even like in community. Now, uh, you know, really practical. And here's two, you can't say by reading your Bible individually and you can't say by going to church. But what are some other ways maybe individually yeah. or corporately yeah. that, you know, we could actually begin to cultivate happiness? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And both of those are also really good. Op- but both of those are number one and number two. Yeah. yeah. Number one and two. Yeah. So what's, what's beyond that? Yeah. No, that's a really good question because uh, I think verse two of the psalm even sets us up for that because, so I've alluded to it many times, but it says, uh, on his law, he meditates day and night. What does that mean? Because it can't mean that we literally do nothing else but read God's word all day, right? So what, so what does it mean beyond that? So yes, that's important. What does it mean beyond that? I think that's an important question that even this, this psalm leads us to. So I think um, what it has in mind is really reflecting on God's word throughout the day. Uh, so when it says law there, it, it's the Hebrew word Torah, and it means more so kind of instruction. It's broader than just like, say, reading the Ten Commandments day and night, right? It's, it's the instruction of the Lord. I think we, can, we, uh, we could say it's, it's all of God's word, which is his instruction to us. So I think this is one way uh, we can cultivate happiness. For example, this morning I was working from the, the top floor of my building, working on a, a sermon, and there, when I first went up there, the sky was just absolutely stunning. Uh, it had rained this morning, and there was this beautiful line of clouds uh, overlooking uh, downtown Manhattan, because um, I'm on the Upper West Side, so I was looking south, and I had this beautiful view of all these clouds to the left, and then this blue sky, vivid blue sky on the right. And it was just, I don't know if you can capture it from my <laughs> description, but it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I loved it. And I think one way that we cultivate happiness is pausing in that moment and just thanking God and, and praising him for this. And that is, I think, a way that we meditate on his law, as it says, because it's it's reminding ourselves, like say in the book of James, that every good thing is from is from God. And so when I reflect on that word, maybe I'm not sitting there reading the book of James, but I'm looking at this beautiful sky and I'm reminded by something that I read in, the, in God's word. Oh, every good gift is from God. Wow. Praise God for this beautiful sky that I'm enjoying right now. I think that would be uh, a one way that we can cultivate happiness individually. Um, and then good question you asked too about how can you do this communally? Um, let me think. Maybe uh, uh, one really important way is just encouraging each other with God's word. So maybe maybe somebody is going through chronic pain, and maybe I can uh, encourage that person by even just checking in on them. And, and because I know, like, oh, I should I should care for 
for people. And, and then if I am the person who has that chronic pain, I'm, I'm receiving this care and I'm like, yeah, it is really good to belong to a community of people who care for me, like Christ cares for me. And when somebody checks in on me and says, hey, how, how are you doing today? You know, I was thinking of you and praying for you. That can communicate that care to me. Um, and I think that also really is an, uh, an application to meditating on God's word day and night, because we see, oh, this is something that's, that's good to do. And it really does bring about happiness in all of our relationships and, and bring about much flourishing. So that would be one thing that comes to mind. It's a good question. Yeah. Hey, thank you for for that. Thank you for all of this spending time with us and David talking through this with us. And man, I just wish you and pray um, that your ministry in Manhattan will just continue to flourish. And so just going to be thinking about you and your ministry, your church, and, and praying for you guys. But uh, thanks again for being on the program and spending time with us. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great to be here. Thanks for your prayers and for uh, having me on the program. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. In Doubt is a ministry that exists to engage young people with biblical truth and provide answers for many of today's questions of life, faith, and culture. Through audio programs, articles, and blogs, In Doubt reaches out to encourage, strengthen, and disciple young adults. To check out all the resources of In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Or if you're in a position or share a passion for the ministry of young people, you can support the ongoing mission of engaging a new generation with the truth of the Bible. First, you can pray for this ministry. And second, and if you are able, please consider a financial gift by visiting indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Your gift of any amount is such a blessing and an answer to prayer. Thanks.